You're listening to the Physics Buzz podcast with Cala Cofield and Mike Lucibella. So, Cala, I was riding my bike around the city the other day, and you wouldn't believe what I saw. What did you see? You know those old-timey bikes with the huge wheel up front and the teeny tiny wheel in the back? I saw someone riding around town in one of those. You mean like a penny farthing, like from the Victorian era? Yeah, the rider had a curly mustache and everything. Well, I knew curly mustaches were coming back into style, but I did not realize those old bikes were coming back, too. You know, that actually brings up a really great question. I mean, why did bicycles have those big wheels, and why aren't they built like that anymore? I have a feeling that the answer is going to involve physics. Of course it is. Penny farthings, or ordinaries as they were later called, utilized some simple physics to improve the efficiency of bicycles at the time. But they were also extremely dangerous to ride, and ultimately it was physics that led to the creation of bicycles that were much safer and that were even more efficient. But to understand why, we need to back up and start at the beginning. So the first incarnation of the modern bicycle was the so-called walking machine introduced in Europe in 1817. The walking machine had two wheels, a seat, and handlebars, but no pedals. So riders would sit on the seat and essentially use their feet to run along the ground and move themselves forward. Later models had footrests attached to the axle of the front wheel, so riders could lift their legs up off the ground when they gained some speed. But then someone had a brilliant idea. Why not turn those footrests into pedals to power the bike? So in the 1860s, the Velocipede was introduced. Like bikes of today, the Velocipede had a wheel in the front, a wheel in the back, and two pedals. But that's pretty much where the similarities ended. Oftentimes, the frames were made of wood. They had no gears, no chains, and only some of them had brakes. And even though the Velocipedes had pedals... They were hooked directly to the front wheel, kind of like a kid's tricycle today. Even so, compared to the walking machines, the Velocipedes were way more efficient at using human energy to power them. But they still had some drawbacks. For one, the Velocipedes weren't very fast. Well, wait, couldn't you just pedal faster if you wanted to go fast? You could. That's definitely one way to go faster. But it's exhausting. Everyone has a pedaling speed that works best for them, and it's best to keep that up. Or in bike lingo, keep a constant cadence. Okay, got it. Because the pedals were attached to the front wheel with no chains or gears, one complete turn of the pedals was equal to one complete turn of the wheel. But because the wheels weren't very big, they didn't take you very far. The sizes varied, but really the wheels were only about two and a half feet across, or eight feet around. If you wanted to get anywhere, you had to pedal really fast. Or you could make the wheel bigger, which is exactly what the bike makers started to do. And these wheels got big because the only limit on the size of the wheel was the length of the rider's leg because you had to be able to reach the pedal. The biggest wheel size on a penny farthing was about 5 feet in diameter, which is a 15.7 foot circumference. So with each pedal, the bike could go about 15.7 feet, and that's about double the distance of a traditional size bike wheel. So effectively, the larger wheels increased the bike's efficiency. Of course, these giant wheels had some pretty serious drawbacks. As we said before, penny farthings proved to be really unsafe. The most obvious problem was the rider sat six feet above the ground on these tippy contraptions. Falling over was really common, and falling that far hurt a lot. 
Riders were also prone to taking a header, which meant that if they came to a stop too quickly, they'd flip over the front of the bike and land on their heads. Now, it's still possible to flip over the front of your handlebars on a modern bike, but it's much less common. So why did this happen so often with penny farthings? Well, on a penny farthing, you're so much farther forward, it didn't take much to tip you over the front of it. In modern bikes, your center of gravity is much farther back. You'd have to be moving really quickly and stop very fast, and probably be on an incline or something like that, to take a header over a modern bike. Turning was also a big problem on penny farthings, because the rider had to straddle this enormous front wheel, and if they tried making too sharp of a turn, their legs would get stuck in the wheel. So with the rider so high up and so far forward and the pedals on the front wheel, penny farthings were just extremely unstable and unsafe. Which is why I can't understand why people still choose to ride these things today. Must be a retro thing. Anyways, in 1885, an inventor by the name of John Kemp Starley introduced an entirely new style of bike, which bears a strong resemblance to the ones we have today. Named the Starley Safety Bicycle, it had a front wheel not much bigger than about two feet across and a back wheel about the same size. But what was really revolutionary, though, the pedals weren't built onto the front wheel, but connected by a chain and gears to the back one. Now, wait, why was it called the Safety Bicycle? Because, literally, it was so much safer than the ordinaries. It was low to the ground, and the front wheel was free to steer, so you wouldn't get your legs caught. Okay. So the safety bicycle was the first bicycle to use a chain and gears. Now, it wasn't the first human-powered vehicle to do this. There were a couple of earlier tricycles and quadricycles that integrated chain and gears, but the safety bicycle was the one that did it the best. Right, and it revolutionized the bike world. Within just a few short years, penny farthings completely disappeared from the market. And during the 1890s, sales of the safeties exploded because penny farthings and velocipedes had no chains and no gears, there was no way to adjust how easy or difficult it was to turn the pedals. The only way to do that would be to change the size of the wheels. To understand why these two components are so important, it requires a simple understanding of what work means to a physicist. And by work, I'm guessing you don't mean writing grants or mowing the lawn on the weekend. <laughs> Important though that may be, no, I'm talking about the physical definition of work. If you push on an object, whether it be a wooden block or a bicycle pedal, you apply a force to it. If you apply this force over a distance, like pushing a block a foot across the floor or rotating a bike pedal one complete turn, you're doing work. So if I ride my bike up a hill, I just did work. Right. But if I go up a hill in a lower gear, it feels easier than using a higher gear. So did I do less work with the lower gear? Nope. You did the same amount of work. In a low gear, it's easier to turn the pedals once around. But you don't go as far with each rotation. So in a low gear, you might make it up the hill in 50 pedal rotations. In a higher gear, you might make it up in 30. Overall, though, you've still done the same amount of work, but you've just distributed your force differently. And that's what makes gears and chains more efficient. If I tried to bike up the hill in a higher gear, I might be exhausted when I got to the top. I might not even be able to make it to the top. But because I can change gears, I can use my energy more efficiently. So how is it that chains and gears make this possible? 
We said that distance is part of work, but rather than thinking about distance as the distance you travel on your bike, think of it as the length of chain you pull with each rotation of your pedals. The definition of work tells us that we can exert less force if we do the work over a longer distance. So a low gear uses a longer length of chain but requires less force to move it. And a higher gear uses a shorter length of chain but requires more force. Exactly. Okay, but wait. When I'm in a low gear, I go a very short distance with each pedal rotation, and when I'm in a high gear, I travel a longer distance per rotation. So does that mean that when I'm in a low gear, it's effectively as if I'm riding a bicycle with a very small wheel, like one of those tiny clown bikes? Yes, and if you didn't have gears, you would only travel a distance equal to the circumference of the wheel. So then, in turn, when I'm in a high gear, it's kind of like I'm riding a penny farthing. Exactly. Once again, we should be clear here. When we talk about the distance over which you exert a force, we're talking about the length of chain you're pulling with each pedal, not necessarily the distance that you travel. I say that because with big wheels, you're traveling a longer distance, but you're doing so in only one pedal rotation. So it takes more work to turn a big wheel around once. It's still pretty cool to imagine myself riding a penny farthing when I'm in a high gear biking downhill. I should throw in here too.、Uh, the first safety bikes didn't change gears during a ride. Bikes with automatic gear changers didn't show up for another couple of decades. But by physically swapping out different sized gears at a bike shop, a mechanic could make the same bike a climbing machine or faster than any penny farthing could ever be. So you could design bikes for racing, or for cruising around town, or for taking into the mountains. Exactly. And though these penny farthings are long obsolete, their legacy is still with us. If you ever hang around with bike mechanics, you might have heard them use the term gear inches. So when safety bikes were first coming into fashion, but penny farthings were still on the road, mechanics needed a way to convert between the two. So they came up with this conversion. It's if a safety bike were a penny farthing, how big its front wheel would be. So if I said a particular bike of today had 132 gear inches, it would ride the same as if it were a penny farthing with a 132 inch diameter wheel. That's 11 feet across, which is enormous. No human could ride a penny farthing that big. And ultimately, this shows you why you can go so much further and faster. On a safety bicycle than you ever could on the largest penny farthing. And even though very few penny farthings still come through bike shops today, gear inches is something that bike mechanics still use to describe modern bicycles. And if you check out our blog, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com, you can see a blog post I put up explaining exactly what gear inches are and what they tell you about a bike. In the meantime, I owe a big thank you to Physics for giving us modern day bikes because. I'm already extremely uncoordinated, and I don't think I would have done well on a penny farthing. <laughs> physics has once again saved the day. That's all for the Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Calla Cofield, and I'm Mike Lucibella. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more Physics Buzz. Thanks for listening, and be careful on your penny farthings. <laughs> That is good advice. <laughs>